Well, it's been a, a great pleasure and an honor for us to start reading our books, Faith Like Potatoes. You might be asking yourself a question, where did a name like that come from? Well, I can honestly tell you it never came from me. There was a Scottish preacher, Peter Marshall. He had an incredible way with words. They say that students used to come and sit in the back of his meetings just to hear him speak the English language. And he said to his students one day, you must have faith, faith that is tangible, faith that you can touch, faith that you can see, faith like <laughs> potatoes. Chapter 7, The Ladysmith Campaign. The campaign was just over three months away and there was much preparation to be done. Jill and I talked about it. We must share our vision with the local churches and submit to their leadership, we agreed. I was sure that they would be as excited as we were and I planned to visit each church individually and share what the Lord had put into my heart. I set off for Ladysmith one morning feeling very positive, singing and praising the Lord all the way. This would be my first meeting with the church leaders and I was really looking forward to it. I arrived in town nice and early and visited the first church on my list. The minister received me very graciously, but not very enthusiastically. The people of Ladysmith are just like the rocks and the thorn trees of the area, hard and dry. You will get nowhere with them. He promised, however, to at least tell them about the campaign. I left his church with a very heavy heart. Perhaps the next church would be more enthusiastic. The young pastor invited me in. I shared the vision for Ladysmith and he listened quietly. When I'd finished, he shook his head. Well, you can come here if you want to. But as far as I'm concerned, this town has been over-evangelized. I couldn't believe my ears. Over-evangelized? Surely if there was one soul left unsaved, then there was room for the gospel. My enthusiasm to meet the church leaders began to wane as I went from church to church. I received a pleasant welcome, but no real commitment or zeal for the coming campaign. I felt so alone. Then I went to a church with a reputation for being really switched on. At least here, I thought I'm going to get some enthusiasm and some interest and first-class support from the brethren. I drove up to the house where I was warmly received and invited in. Enthusiastically, I shared my heart with the pastor. He listened carefully. Three months back, he said, two of South Africa's top evangelists held a campaign here. The first night, only 39 people came to the meeting. 18 of those were from my church. I don't know. Tell me, who are your main speakers? The wind was completely taken out of my sails by that time. Sheepishly, I responded, well, um, I am. In fact, I'm the only speaker. His face was a picture as he looked at me. Well, brother, maybe the Lord has sent you here to bend you a little. By now, I was totally humiliated, completely disillusioned. I drove slowly out of town with a heavy heart. I still had to book accommodation for the team at a local motel. Maybe I should rather forget the whole thing and just go home. To my relief, the motel was closed for lunch, and so I parked the pickup underneath a tree. 
It was a blazing hot afternoon. Lord, why do you want me to do this? I felt so depressed. I couldn't even cry. The story of Elijah the prophet running for his life from Jezebel flashed into my mind. I remember him lying underneath a juniper bush and saying to God, take me home. I just want to die. That is exactly how I felt. There was a church on just about every street corner in Ladysmith. And it seemed to me that none of the men of God wanted me to come and preach in their town. I got out of the bucky, straightened my shoulders and marched into the motel. I would like to book these rooms in raw faith. Determined to complete my visits to the churches, I returned to Ladysmith. At the last house, much to my relief, the minister was out. I left a note under the door briefly explaining who I was and what my visit was all about. I crawled home, crestfallen, a broken farmer, filled with doubt that I had ever heard God's call. That evening, we were just about to sit down to dinner when the telephone rang. It was that last minister that I'd called on who had not been at home. I could hear the excitement in his voice. My name is Pastor Brian Jabba, he said. You left a note under my door. I have to come and see you urgently. I'm bringing an elder with me. We have been praying for a revival in this town for the past six months. The church has been going up and down the mountains just outside Ladysmith and asking the Lord to send someone. We'll be at your home the first thing in the morning. I was stunned. Jill and I were overwhelmed at the goodness of God. Brian Jabba and his church worked hard. They organized a men's breakfast. They helped put up banners and posters. And they were a tremendous encouragement in every way. Together, we shared the details of the coming campaign and the excitement of seeing everybody come into place. It was such an encouragement to have their support because the general reaction in town was very mixed. Oh, so Angus the farmer is coming to preach, some said. Others said, go for it. A few said, well, we'll just wait and see. God is so good. He brought a precious brother into my life at that time who was to prove to be a tower of strength for me for years to come. Our hearts melted together and we struck up a covenant relationship not unlike the friendship between David and Jonathan. Staying to prayer and I would walk many long miles together in the future. We met together every Sunday afternoon to pray for the campaign. These prayer times became very precious to me and the Lord spoke into our lives many times and strengthened us for the tests that lay ahead. Prayer, I had begun to learn, is a very powerful weapon to be used against the evil one. We talked about advertising. Let's not leave one stone unturned, we decided, as we began to organize handbills, posters, and newspaper advertising. It was all a lot of work and planning, but we knew it would be worthwhile. The Lord sent some assistance in the form of my brother-in-law, John Collier, an advertising man. His willingness to assist us moved my heart, and I knew God was in it. I so wanted him to come to the meetings because I knew that he was searching for the truth deep down in his heart. Lord, do something for him. I prayed silently as he helped us with the strategy and planning. He did a wonderful professional job, and I really rejoiced when he offered to film the meetings with his video camera. 
Morag, my sister, was delighted. She had found the Lord in the little Methodist church in Greytown some years before. At that time, she was a young single girl, and Jill and I had taken her along to the services. I can still remember the day that she found the Lord. A lay preacher by the name of Neville Griffin made an altar call, and Morag stood boldly to her feet and walked to the front of the church to give her heart to Jesus. I went to stand with her, and she confessed him as Lord and Savior. Now it was John's turn. The date was set, the venue was booked, the accommodation was organized, and the campaign was on. The team started to come together. We were a very small, inexperienced, nervous group of ordinary folk. We loved the Lord Jesus and were prepared to take the Bible literally and go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We had no special qualifications or even training. I'm sure that the Lord's heart was moved when he saw this little band of believers going out in simple faith. I think he must have detailed another company of angels to stand by us as we prepared to take the devil on face to face with hardly any idea of the implications involved. All we knew was that Jesus Christ is faithful and that was enough for us. At long last, the day arrived. This is it, I told Jill. The excitement in the air was almost tangible as the team started to assemble at Shalom. I don't think I've ever been so excited before in my whole life. The reality of the vision was actually coming to pass, and I felt honored that these precious folk trusted me and believed that I had heard from God. On the other hand, I was so nervous. At times, I felt like I had boarded a runaway train, and there was no turning back. The time had arrived. The troops were starting to assemble, and all my bridges were burned. I was committed. One of the first to arrive was Ian Corbridge, Jill's brother, a qualified high school maths and physical ed teacher. He flew up from Port Elizabeth to be part of the music team. Little did I realize the profound effect that Ian was destined to have on the work that would follow at Shalom. A talented guitarist, Ian writes deeply challenging Christian songs. His wife, Roz, is also a teacher and they have three sons. Matthew, Peter, and David. Ian had been a committed Christian since the early age of 15 years old. I'd always admired him for his uncompromising stand for the Lord. I remembered my early days as a very fiery young rugby player. When I was caught in Jill, we would always go into the bar after a game and have a few beers. But Ian would sit on the veranda and quietly drink Coca-Cola. His consistent testimony made a big impression on me. Other team members arrived. Our pastor, Gavin, also a tremendous encouragement to me in those early years, was to play the piano, and his wife, Jean, an anointed singer, would minister with another young lass, Corin, Buddy, our sound man, and a local drummer also came. Together with my entire family, we formed the team. We believe more than anything else that Shalom is a family ministry. How would we pay for this venture? I walked in my green cathedral, my maize fields, and made a pact with God. I will do your work on one condition, 
that I never have to ask the people I minister to for money. When the finances run out, I will stop. Well, praise God, that has never happened. And I know that as long as I walk in accordance with His will, it will never happen. Every one of the team members put their hands in their pockets and paid their own way. And that is how we determined to run our outreaches from then onwards. The big night arrived. We set off for Ladysmith. The meeting was scheduled to start at 7 o'clock and at uh, 10 minutes to 7, there was not a soul in the hall. I could hear the preacher's voice echoing in my mind, telling me about the two well-known evangelists who had only 39 people attend their meeting. The music team was on the platform singing for all they were worth. I sat in the town hall basement. Lord, I prayed reverently. We have a covenant. We have done everything we could. Now the rest is up to you. I went upstairs and peeped into the hall. My heart skipped a beat. The hall was already half full of people, eagerly waiting to hear what this group of farmers had to say. Every night the crowds grew bigger and bigger until on Friday night the hall was filled to capacity. God moved in an amazing way. Many found the Lord and amazing healings took place. On a Wednesday night, Jill and I were praying for a lady who wanted Jesus to help her stop smoking. Somehow my wife sensed that the woman had a deeper need and called me to come over. I have a tumor on the brain, the woman told me. Tomorrow I go for a scan. Can I tell these people, I asked. What have I got to lose, she replied. I could feel the hearts of the people in the hall that night being drawn to this woman as we prayed the prayer of faith together. Come back tomorrow night and tell us the results of the scan. I called after her as she walked away. The next night came and I didn't see her anywhere. My heart sank. Maybe God hadn't healed her after all. Doubt started to set in as I scanned the crowd for her. Suddenly, I noticed a woman walking towards me. Her husband and children were with her. I noticed that her hair was nicely done and she was looking radiant. The scan was clear, she exulted. I am completely healed. All over the hall, people were praising God and shouting His praises. I made the altar call. People stood up and started walking to the front. I noticed a man walking slowly up to the altar. Later, he testified that he was a well-known gangster in Durban and that Jesus had saved him that night. What about you, John? I asked my brother-in-law. With tears in his eyes, he surrendered his life to Jesus. It was a thrilling moment for all of us. We thought our hearts would burst with joy. It was all so exciting and thrilling. I will never forget our first campaign. The mayor of Ladysmith and his wife came to most meetings. Later I heard that she was stirring the town for Jesus. She had a real encounter with the Lord at the campaign. We were sorry when the meetings were over and closed and we had to say goodbye. It had been wonderful and it seemed to us that nothing could supersede or eclipse what we had just experienced. Little did we know what was to happen the next night in the army camp. Thank you for listening to this episode of Faith Life Potatoes. 